What's up, guys? Welcome back to Direct a Podcast, episode number 14. My name is Kurt Schneider, and per usual, this podcast is sponsored by Eightfold Creative. This week, we're chatting with the crazy talented director, Ninian Doff. If you haven't seen the music videos Ninian has done for Mike Snow, you need to pause this right now and watch them. If you're driving, just stop the car, pull into a truck stop, side of the road, whatever it takes, I don't care. Just watch them. You will not be disappointed. Outside of music videos, Ninian has a lot of commercial work in his portfolio, and he actually has an upcoming feature film that he'll be directing. So let's hear Ninian's take on the art of directing. Wait, where are you out of? Well, sort of based out of London, but then I actually um, moved about two years ago to, to by the coast to Tankle Brighton, but I'm... Um, I sort of say I'm still based from London because, like, I hop on the train and I'm back there, and that's where like Pulse Films is based and all my meetings are. But my actual home's now by the coast, which is nice. That's awesome. It's cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. I mean, let's let's just get started. How did you get your start directing professionally? Um. So I my I mean I was always making films, um, since I was like a teenager, but my actual like sort of professional route went through. Slightly through post-production, I got a job as an ed... Like, I did lots of small jobs, you know, like production runner, all kind of things like that. But then I got a job as an editor at an ad agency, actually. It's sort of like the in-house editor. And that led to me getting really into motion graphics. And so I was sort of doing that um, to earn my money for a lot of years whilst directing on the side and making different stuff. And then I started getting very into music videos while I was still doing that, which kind of... Then I took the plunge and like quit the day job and I was freelancing in motion graphics work whilst making stuff. And so I guess then the main thing was I kind of then, since I did, since I sort of was freelancing, I had the time, I made a music video off my own back for this band called Fulton Lights, which was this sort of, it's still actually on my website, you still see it, but involved motion tracking arms onto all these crows. So they were performing in a band in like in the park and. I did it all on my own, it took months and months of <laughs> motion tracking and stitching and rotoscoping and everyone was like, dude, are you okay? Are you sure you should be doing this insane crow video? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, for me, it was like, it was a tactical, very purposeful, like calling card video. Like, right. I think this is going to be cool. I think I can pull it off. But it really reached like month three of me, you know, every spare minute sitting around at three in the morning putting crows on arms in my spare time <laughs> and people being worried about me. But the good news is the sort of the, the tactical video worked in the sense that um, it got like shown on enough blogs and then it got nominated for a UK music video award in the budget category, which sort of gave it, you know, me enough sort of interest or kudos that I could sort of, you know, that with some of the other films I've made, people started paying a little bit of attention and that led to me actually getting like offering offered as like representation for as a director uh for music videos and so that was then i joined with pulse films who are still now and that led to quite quickly to like my first ever paid job as a director i was still actually then freelancing for quite a while because music videos especially in the early days and in the later days yeah do not do not make you right, right, <laughs> right. Make you. and so it was actually really there but that that sort of process leads you to you know commercials ultimately and then and then you're and then you're not then you're actually earning money from it right well that that's yeah. interesting that you came through the ad world how how do you think that that experience has has benefited you or or 
given you a competitive advantage just coming through that the ad world yeah i mean i sort of i sort of wish it gave me a better advantage in that i'm yeah. not like it's not like i i know the secret and i'm like i just write this code word at the bottom right. of it and <laughs> it's like a, a masonic secret message i can put on it i mean i was in it was really useful in that it was um it was it was kind of weird because it's like it was in an ad agency but it wasn't like i was working with the creatives or the council this it was sort of the in-house they had a few edit suites and you'd cut i mean you cut together mood films you cut together so i guess in that sense i i understood the process of advertising already I understood how they make mood films and how they put scripts together and all that but i was never seeing like i was removed from let's say the television department so i was never seeing other directors treatments come in or anything like that like you hear quite a lot of directors the beginning stories are that they actually like wrote treatments for bigger directors and they sort of that's how they learn and that sounds invaluable and i actually never had that i was kind of on the wrong side i was behind the curtain but on the wrong side of the curtain yeah so um so it was useful the most useful thing about it was actually learning on the technical side like learning to edit learning how to get really good at after effects and then being able to mean that and learning how to shoot stuff i was never a great dp but i could shoot stuff and then suddenly being this kind of unstoppable like self-production company for low budget stuff where i was like oh i can do everything right. now <laughs> there's a really good quote on like back in the 90s robert rodriguez did a his 10 minute film school i think it's still on youtube somewhere and it's still great and he um he has a line in that where he says um a creative person can learn to be technical but a technical person can never learn to be creative huh. so his sort of argument is if you've got good ideas you can totally learn all the technical stuff and then you're just like nothing can stop you do you know what right, I mean? right. so it's like i always thought it was such good advice like to, i sometimes meet people who are like you know i i just think that's when you're in the early days if you learn how to do it all then then you don't have to beg anyone to do anything because you can do it all <laughs> well and and also it gives you an understanding of what they do when when you do work with the professionals who like sure a, when you're working with a dp you're not you can you have the ability to speak his language and and the same with the editor and the same with your vfx yeah, guy so i think again you gain a lot of respect from them when you're able to speak their language and i think that's that's a big key yeah especially editing actually i think editing's a, a really good like thing that for a director to do like if yeah. people could take a few years being editors because it's in terms of like being on set, being up against it, struggling for time and having the confidence, you know, suddenly, I mean, most directors have had the horrible shoot where you had to start dropping shots yep. and having the confidence to be like, okay, you know what, like this, this will pace correctly. If as long as we get this one reaction, we'll be okay. Well, as long as, and you know, I'm obviously any experienced director sort of gets that point, but certainly having a background in editing gives you the confidence to like cut it in your head yeah. <laughs> quickly. <laughs> no, I agree. I, it's it to me. I, I almost don't understand how anybody can be a successful director that doesn't at least have some yeah, experience yeah. in editing because it, yeah. like you said, just the ability to know what exactly you need to make yeah. it a full story. Like, yeah. to, I mean, you're editing that in your head. So you would yeah. think that you would have to have done some editing in your background, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely agree. And to have been an editor and been pulling your hair out, being like, why would they not have given us, you know, a master? Right. <laughs> the only shit you so like to sort of also have been had the pain in the edit suite. Yeah. Definitely helped you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so what, what would you say inspires you outside of like films, TV and Vimeo? Just like, what are, what are some things that you go to? Um, 
I mean, it's quite funny for me, um, and I say it funny because it's weird because I, I work in such a visual medium, but I definitely, like, outside of those things, I'm a ma- like a massive reader. I'm always reading. I'm reading often two books at once, as in a non-fiction book and a fiction book, and mm-hmm. juggling the two, and, and an insanely eclectic range. I get very excited about, like, but sort of, you know, science fiction books, but then also like weird, like strange hippie books. I get this or like anything. Yeah. I mean, I just read a lot, which I think is weird that that I'd say almost like when you take away like the obvious, yeah, like film, Vimeo, other filmmakers, I'd say it's actually story like reading that gets me inspired and gets me daydreaming, gets me thinking, which I say is weird because obviously you're the, that's not, you know, it's not photography, let's say, or something like that. I mean, although I do love taking photos, but definitely the main thing is is books and getting into that. And also quite like, like I've got a very big library of like books on the technique of like of close-up magic, which is odd because I don't perform magic, but I'm just yeah. really interested in reading how they create, like how they've solved this weird problem. It's almost like a bizarre form of post-production. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we need to make this happen. How can we hide this? How can we fit this? And all that. So I've got, I yeah, I'd say it's definitely like a massive range of reading and always, and getting into certain things. Like a few months ago, I, start, I started reading tons about chess players for some reason. And then you come out of that and you never know where it really leads to. And it's interesting because it's not visual, but it definitely starts inspiring you and thinking yeah. about ideas and stuff in your head. Do you, do you got any got any book recommendations for us? Anything you've been you read recently? Well, nonfiction. I'm like I'm literally looking at my desk in front of me, so because I always forget exactly what I read. Yeah. Nonfiction right now. I'm reading uh, Judd Apatow's interview book, Sick in the oh, Head. Oh, I it's heard called. about that. It's actually really, really, really good. Uh, really inspiring and quite exciting. Like they're all quite short, and it's the right level of nerdery. He's really like he's he's right in like trying to. Big details. So that's like a good nonfiction book. And then, um, what was I reading? Damn, I have to like look at my bookshelf. I always forget them like the moment I finished reading them. Yeah, that's I, a tr- I really- have to write down everything that I read or else yeah. it's like it didn't happen. Yeah, it was like a really good short story book by, I want to say, a not a what right not haitian writer and the place next to it's called this is how you, this is how you lose her or something like that god I'm, i'll have to google it and work out that was really good actually um uh but like i say a ma- i mean a massive range that's mm-hmm. the kind of uh, main thing with me i've just googled it because i'm interested this is how you lose her by hua who not diaz i don't know it's really be- really beautifully written but yeah i'd say that's it that's my biggest inspiration outside of outside the obvious ones awesome what so what what would you say what would you say is like i guess start start with your favorite and then and then give me your your least favorite part of the filmmaking process as a whole right okay yeah okay start start positive yeah. um the favorite part certainly is 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 literally the moment when it all starts coming together so you this thing that you daydreamed and scribbled and sort of almost sometimes doubted that you know what I mean? Like quibbled on and suddenly mm. you, you're seeing your, that moment when your location's lit or your actors, this and the costumes in place and this and that. And you, and you, it's almost like take one, Do you know what I mean? And yeah. you're like, Oh my God. Like, and so many people came together. And sometimes there's a thing where you're like giggling to yourself where you're on like a big, say like I've done a few jobs where there's been quite big set builds or something. And you're like, I just scribbled that at about <laughs> one in the morning on like a post-it note yeah. and took a photo of my phone 
and someone's built it or like you know what i mean or yeah. this costume and that's like it's it's it like it sounds corny but it is always a magical moment and it is a magical moment also because of its collaboration you know what i mean where you get quite like oh my god like you see all these parts coming together and and it's the sort of most exciting part of directing where where all these talents kind of filter down to be this picture that you just happen to have in your head a few months ago or even a few weeks ago or a few days ago in some cases um and then and then on a sort of very just literally practical level like what part do i love and this ties into probably a question one but i still like i love the edit um i love that part of the edit like shooting is like being on a sort of roller coaster whilst on fire do you know what I mean? yeah, <laughs> you're yeah, not yeah. like you're like you're just fl- like actually i just had a really good interview with um uh peel what's his first name but the guy who directed get out is it jordan oh peel? jordan jordan peel yeah, yeah. Uh, he described directing as running down a corridor whilst everyone's firing bullets at you <laughs> it's like you're just like can i get to the end of the corridor or something like that i'm slightly yeah. paraphrased but but then in the edit what i love is you have this time or you should have the time it's they always screw on the edit but the time to make mistakes and to try stuff in a way that you kind of don't on set do you know what i mean so yeah. you can be like you can make a mess of it and you can be like laugh and be like well that idea didn't work and it's not like your producer's pulling his hair out and you've got a hundred people standing around you staring at you yeah so it's a sort of like uh, i know and, and that and, and and the real i you know again maybe the edit background but that moment where you've got a baggy rough cut and you start shaving it down and you start finding solutions and you sort of feel it getting better is always is always amazing um which then i guess so the least favorite part of it probably go on that bullets firing at you analogy but but i mean directing is or at least for me and it's funny because people people tell me that i'm very calm on set and i'm a very calm guy but directing is a very high stress job <laughs> like no matter how much you love it no matter how much you love being on set uh, there's no doubt about it that that it's you know everything everything boils down to you even with the amazing support network like it's still boils down to you not just in terms of getting stuff like that but also just if it's good or not really like you have to take the you can blame you can be like oh the location fell through the this or that but it's still your fault do you know what i mean um and so on every job i normally have a moment where i'm just wondering why i like like this is me like all my life i've wanted to be a director i love being a director and on every job i have a moment where i wonder why the hell i do this to myself (laughs) (laughs) and i have normally like I was talking to my friend about it. I have a I have a very like epic fantasy about like being like a bike mechanic with a small shop. Or like <laughs> yeah. it's like a very like cat like I'm like that sounds nice. I'll be a carpenter and I start daydreaming really detailed daydreams about like becoming a carpenter and like why are you doing this to yourself <laughs> i can relate to that so much yeah. it's only like those super like stressful moments where it seems like everything's coming down on you like why did i do this it's just like this isn't fun yeah. this isn't you don't need to be doing this to yourself and then of course then you get that magic moment on set i talked about then you have this lovely edit then hopefully you make something that worked and everyone's like excited about that and it's that classic thing of like you forget it until you're next at that position again you're like oh yeah wait wait why did you do it again right yeah no i i feel like that's a i feel like if you're in a job where it's not making you feel like that on both sides then i feel like that's just a boring job i feel like that's what's so exciting about this it's something that you can something you can absolutely hate and absolutely love within the matter of like 20 minutes (laughs) yeah yeah and the sad truth is that the the filmmaking jobs where 
it has just been like so nice so fine normally on other other world jobs that I kind of get forgotten and right. I'm very interested. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's rare. It's rare. There, there's not normally you should be worried if you're not at some point feeling very stressed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess scary is, scary is when you're pushing, pushing the envelope. Exactly. Right. That's what it means. If you're feeling that stressed, it means that you've not like coasted basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk, let's talk pre-production. Um, what, what do you think for you is, is the most essential part of pre-production? I know there's a million things, but just yeah, try yeah, and yeah. pick one. It's, um, I mean, I guess, cause yeah, I mean, there are many things. So I guess, I guess there's sort of two things. One is on a personal level of you as a director being, I suppose there's two things. It's kind of, listening to like the nagging voice in your head because you can certainly have a lot of people and if the money's tight trying to sort of push things past you do you know what i mean being like this place would be fine or this is fine right or let's just do this and and often and a huge part of that is to be like yes that is fine i understand that but i've definitely especially in the early days i'd i'd hear myself agreeing to something and and hear myself inside being like no you, you wanted that to be you know i don't know a big red wall and you're you know what i mean or something you're settling yeah and the ultimate thing is and yes you know that's not say you have to be like a dictator and be smashing stuff down but then you i normally spend the rest of the job remembering this one niggling thought where i was like you knew that was wrong you knew that was wrong when you it first passed you by and you just sort of let it float past and and it hurts it all so that's a sort of small thing in terms of as a director to keep a check on like those early decisions are are crucial and if they're not feeling quite right you know have the strength I think it's I, I'm totally not I hate hearing stories of like horrible bully directors who are screaming and smashing things I'm not saying that but I'm saying just keeping keeping track on things as you sort of be you know being pushed on that and then and then I guess in terms of important pre-production things is is it sounds obvious but it's it's just like planning 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 and also planning 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 in terms of if there's some narrative to your piece of work even in a music video and there's a sort of a vagueness anywhere in there where you're like ah we'll just you know we'll just work that one out on set or you kind of like someone's like how did they escape that house and you're like oh you know they just got out or something like if there's a vagueness or anything that will also bite you in the ass either on set when suddenly you're up against it and you didn't have a shot list because you were like oh we'll just do that one quite loosely when actually you should have just you know what i mean yeah or when people are watching it and and it's just not landing because you didn't explain why this and it was because you just were like you know what i mean like so it's really it's it's just yeah planning 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 even when you're up against it just making sure that you've covered all it's almost like covered all the answers so when it comes to it you can kind of ties back to what i said about that thing of the editing like if you know it I love to I love to plan insanely hard like tons yep. so that I know what I can throw out and change my mind on and improvise around. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if you've worked it all out and then suddenly you're on location and the actor's like, Oh my god, I should climb out that window if you if you planned out completely, rather than being like, No, that's not what I planned, you can instead be like, Oh yeah, that's great because I know exactly where the next shot is, I know where it leads to, that's way funnier. But it's kind of like because you overly worked it all out you can you can very clearly understand when you can throw it all out the window and you can do this at least yeah. that's for me personally no yeah that's really good well it's it sounds like yeah the, the earlier thing you're saying is just kind of trusting your gut like if deep down you're like I, I really don't think this is the location or i don't think we should kind of you know 
run with this one without fully planning it out. It's like, you're better, usually better off just like listening to that gut feeling and, yeah. and actually, actually figuring it out and not letting things just yeah. unfold and when think, you don't feel good about it. Yeah. And I think that is an experience thing. I think I sort of say that certainly on a podcast like this, where people are different stages listening to it. And I think that's something certainly I felt initially. And again, I preface this to saying, I don't think you should be a difficult asshole at any point, but mm. But when in my early stages, I definitely could get swayed so much easier by people's opinions of what they thought was cool or what they thought was that. And ultimately, it's yours. So it's I think, yeah, what you learn with experience is a bit of confidence of listening to that voice and being quite clear on what exactly your film is rather than, you know, what everyone else's film is. <laughs> right. So uh, so are are you big? Are you big into storyboarding or pre-visualization? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that all ties into that that sort of. Over, planning like mad so that you know what to throw out so certainly on everything i do i i, I, I not only storyboard at all but i actually in the case of a music video i cut i i, I edit my storyboards to the track in just like in premiere and actually also with commercials to be honest when i know it's a 30 second one and you've got the boards i sort of i just do the voices of all the different characters as a soundtrack and i put temp music down and i do little animatics like that which um which is probably you know a lot further than some people go but i mean again i mean that saved my life so many times yeah uh, where i'm just like so say in the case of a commercial where I'm like, oh, wow, this idea really doesn't fit into 30 seconds. <laughs> and and the storyboards look fine. You're like, oh, yeah, it does. And then you start cutting it together and you're like, this is impossible to do five locations. In the, you know what I mean? Or something. Yeah, it's just not going to fit. Yeah, and the music video thing's just great for pacing. You sort of have in your head, you, you always, you're like, oh, well, you know, I want, I know this scene comes in on the drum crescendo or something. But to actually start cutting it together and feeling it and being like, that's off, I often, for me personally, that's suddenly when I realize where I'm missing a, a close-up or a reaction shot that I wouldn't have storyboarded because you're not sort of, you know, it's different when you're actually just doing it to the rhythms of the music. It helps mm -hmm. a lot. Um, and then, But then that tying back to my previous thing of the, then having the confidence and the strength to not be a psychopath about your storyboards <laughs> and Charlotte's when you're on set to still let it have a, a certain looseness because you've overworked it, I think, I think is the secret. So do you do you draw your own storyboards then, or do you have somebody you work with? Yeah, no, I well, so on a music video where there's never enough money, I do sort of my slightly rubbish drawings, and then on like a commercial, there'll always be a, my scribbles will be turned into a, a beautiful, very good drawings. Gotcha. <laughs> so I can draw, but I can't draw in any professional sense. Or I'm too, to be honest, I'm too lazy to draw in a professional sense. So I've yeah. got. Like, these boards are for me and i know that that circle is a close-up of the lead guy's face <laughs> but um but um yeah yeah it's, and it's interesting working with storyboard artists because they they some they that sometimes can be quite collaborative and interesting and help you brainstorm in its own way uh but yeah on commercials often do yeah and then do you just like scan them into premiere and then just edit them yeah, in there or something yeah just scan them in and then and have them all lined up and and i'll actually actually i mean so, so often what I will do is before storyboards, I mean, this, this is a, this is a glimpse into my ma major planning that I do like to, I'll actually do an, an edit to the, say the voices that I did, if it was like a commercial or to the music of its music video, I'll do a, uh, title, just title card edit. So I'll just do very loose. I'll just be like, you know, like 
wide of car driving in on the intro of the music. These are just titles. Then it'll yeah. be like next time being like close up of girl, close up for see that, and I'll start cutting it together uh, again so I can start feeling the pace and seeing what sits in the length and seeing if I have to cut things or or if I or if I feel I'm padding stuff out to realize like there's nothing worse than a baggy or a plot you know in music videos where it's right. like they run for a minute because no one had, <laughs> yeah. the idea. Um, and then so, and then actually I'll take that text edit to be the sort of groundwork for my rough storyboards so i'll sort of i'll actually start with it and again it probably ties back to my roots but i'll start with that edit i'll, I'll edit text just title cards together that's yeah that's really interesting i've never never actually thought of that um yeah i don't know where i think i once i feel like i once saw screen grab someone maybe doing something similar i don't know this sort of just seemed a natural way to me to stop doing things yeah yeah no that makes total sense um so how about let's say the date beautiful storyboard is you get scared to change it yeah because <laughs> you've drawn it and you're like oh my god i spent so long drawing that tank from that <laughs> so, you, so you almost don't change it and the good thing about title cards is they're not precious so you're just like oh no it shouldn't be a crane shot you spent a day drawing so you just delete it and you do this so it's like it's a good sort of way of not because you can storyboards are dangerous in that sense where you get you get into the drawing <laughs> yeah. yeah you can fall in love with the wrong thing yeah exactly um so how about i mean transitioning a little bit more to the commercial side uh, for you know for treatments what are what are some any things you found specifically to be to be helpful with winning treatments or um any any places you go for for references or anything like that i think what i've learned with treatments is and i don't know if it's a sort of changing landscape or if it's just always been the way but um, I know, and I'm sure it's, this is not new information to people. But it is true that anything, anything that every basically every good production company and decent commercial director are handing in glossy, sexy treatments. Do you know what I mean? They're laid mm-hmm. out nice. They're like this. They're probably a graphic design like that. So, right. so everything you do that t- so, so it's almost like the, the the first standard of a kind of visual aesthetic and um, and how your ideas are laid out are probably your competitions actually you're like you're the way what your ideas within it are going to be better hopefully than everyone else but the actual let's say the, the standard document you're not you don't have the the edge on already on that so so in general when you can bring anything more to the table be it you cut a mood film or you made in or, or even like humor you know like you made a, a not a not an unusual page of the treatment you put you know what i mean like you yeah. boxed up a fake prop you know or fake magazine that's going to be in there or, or or like if it was a i'm just saying this off of my head but like if, if the commercial was about a band you make a whole f- a fake you know poster for the band or something i think all those things really help because that's just showing it's showing two things a it's like you're getting into the idea you're being creative you're making them laugh you're standing out and secondly it's showing effort which bizarrely considering like people get paid very well for commercials and all this people who are doing well, I think sort of do dial in, dial in the treatments. They're very busy. They're probably on location. So, I mean, in some cases someone else might be writing them for them. Right. And I've heard from creatives saying on really big jobs, they're like, Oh, we could tell that that director hadn't written it themselves. We could tell it, you know what I mean? Or we could tell they weren't that involved. And then someone else came along who was less experienced, but they'd, yeah, they'd, they'd cut a whole mood film to the track and then they'd like, you know, mocked up this or they'd done that. And that and that's kind of what wins the job. So I think if you can put, if you can show 
that you personally are putting an effort beyond just making a really great professional document that seems to be what what really is sort of working well for for me and other directors I've talked to as well have have you found that it's becoming more more and more of a, a digital document just I mean in that like a lot a lot more links being put in or like you said like mood yeah. films visuals that they're gonna pull up on their computer and not just yeah, be I was read that I always wonder that because I I think still, like when you go in for the meeting, if you're sort of doing well and you've got a meeting, it's still a printed out treatment on the table. And, and it still does seem to be a weirdly paper document right. where I think you're where I'm surprised that we're not just submitting websites, to be honest, that are quite interactive. And I'm sure and actually maybe that would be maybe I should be doing that. And other people are listening to this being like, dude, you're not making websites. <laughs> you're not making websites of this. And I'm sure if the job's right, like if your entire idea is based on animated GIFs, then that's how you should do it. But um, as it stands for now, most of my, apart from that, the fact that links wouldn't work and I do have links to other stuff in it, but most of them could be sort of, could be printed out, let's say. But it's, um, it makes sense to me that it gets way more down a digital route right. and you embedding stuff, things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um. So... I guess, and then and transitioning, you know, beyond that, you on the board. Do you have do you have a first AD that you work regularly with, or it's just that that uh, the first AD director re- relationship is mm. is a topic that I feel like we haven't really talked about on here. And I'm just I know it's it's a huge part of the process. So I'm kind of curious if you have if you have one guy that you work with specifically, or just in general, what that relationship is like for you. Yeah, no, you're right, and that's a question that sort of never gets asked. And when you're talking about, especially people who are getting into film and it's almost a classic one of like, let's say, like people who don't work in the industry don't necessarily even know what a first AD does. Right. And and, um, and the thing that I've said many times is you, not that it's a thankless task at all, but you almost, you notice how important a first AD is when you get a bad first AD. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, why is this job an absolute nightmare? <laughs> and then and then when you've got a first AD, unfortunately for them in a way, you're like, like the yeah it's so it's so crucial in that sense so yeah i've got first ad's who i who i've worked with multiple times and sort of trust and all that and when they're busy i often say like i'll I'll literally say can i have a first ad like that (laughs) and then sometimes um some of you don't know i just did a job in um in the ukraine in kiev and uh we had we couldn't fly out all our crew the budget wasn't there so then i had a first ad I'd never worked with before, but what I could sort of do was see the jobs he'd worked on previously, see the directors he'd worked on previously, and you sort of saw a very high standard directors. And also, to be honest, you saw some directors who you knew were quite difficult, and he'd done multiple jobs with them. And then you're like, okay, that's kind of vouched for. And he was, and he was an amazing first AD, and it was brilliant. Um, but it is interesting um, that it is, it is, it is such an important uh, relationship on set. But like I say, in in a one in one that's sort of strangely invisible when they're really good right? <laughs> and, and, and just awful when they're not around. And that boils down to such tiny things of like people being in the right place and extras being in the, you know what I mean? Doing the right thing. And, and there's actually going to be quite a strong creative role when you've got a lot of extras, especially like the first AD can make quite big creative decisions in the sense of how they start blocking out, you know, crowd movement and mm-hmm. where people are going, where people are walking out quite often. The first will take that all on. And that's another thing of like, that actually takes a real skill and talent to make 
to make things feel natural when you're dealing with background extras and all that. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. And it's such another one, a bit like a, I often think a big part of a director of photography and director's relationship is about personality as much as talent, although obviously they also have to be really good. And, and that's another one with first ADs. And I'd say to people who are sort of maybe first starting and don't know about first is that's personality too because in a way the personality of your first informs the mood of the set so you get first ads who will you know run a brutally tight ship and be shouting at people and be quite strict and you'll run one of the ones with a nice and you're softly spoken about land i'm not saying either is the right way but it's worth knowing that they almost inform the vibe as much as anyone else and right. so whatever your natural personality is and whatever way you want the sort of hustle to be going on set is worth thinking about when you when you're getting your first how and how much do you involve them in pre-production is it is it a matter of like not hugely. bringing them in super early or well on music videos and commercials not massively i know it's sort of a different thing on on, on long form but on what I do, they would come in quite late in the day. So they'll be, so meet up, chat on the phone, and then probably the first time we're really going into it is on the, uh, like they'll come on the technical tech scout. So on the location with the DP, with the grip going through that. Um, it's probably the time when they start coming in rather than much sooner than that, which in some cases is, you know, the same week as that you're doing it bigger projects obviously the bigger the project the order they come in but it's often it's actually often be quite short notice Mm -hmm. so you shoot a lot on 35 millimeter why 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 do you think you like that medium so much um well i mean it's interesting i've not shot actually loads on it but i've just shot some quite prominent things on it okay so 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 both both of the mike snow videos are 35 right both, both the Mike Snow videos are 35, and that's, but that's actually it. The, oh, rest okay. is, the, rest, the rest is uh, nearly all on Alexa with the odd job on a red. Um, but so, so the first thing with that was I wasn't a in, – in photography, like on a personal level, I love photography, and I can't move past 35-millimeter film on my photography. Like my digital camera has always never beat my stills cameras in that sense on 35 mil. But in filmmaking, I was always – I was not a mad film advocate. I love the Alexa camera. I love what people do with it. I love how, how it's changed filmmaking in that uh-huh. sense. It was only on the first Mike Snow video on Genghis Khan, a huge part of that video for me was I I felt like the way to pull this idea off was to treat it super seriously and sincerely and you know huge attention to detail and make everything feel very authentic. And that's how it was going to sort of transcend what could be almost a crass joke and become... Yeah something special and i thought the way to do that is to just be treat this treat this so seriously basically <laughs> and um and so my first ad pat pat meller patrick meller who had shot a few actually I, no actually i hadn't shot a few things in a while with him until that job and then we shot a lot after he immediately literally from day one first skype first anything was like we're shooting this on film and I was like, oh, okay, interesting. And and then and he was right. He was like, you, you want this to look like a long lost scene from a from a sort of you know a, an alternate universe seventies spy film, let's say yeah. for copyright. Um, <laughs> and uh, he was like, you know, forget trying to grade that and put filters and all that. He's like, we shoot it on this stock and we do that. And so it made so so much sense for the job. And I was like, cool, I'm excited to shoot a film and give that a go. And and then I have to say, like, I 
I couldn't believe the rushes, you know, pre-grade, pre-anything, just like the, the stills, the, the de- development place sends you at the end of the day, floored me like it was stunning. It's the, and it's all the corny things people have told me in the past, but the way it handles black and, and very interesting the way it handles skin color, skin tones. And then later when you go, you still grade digitally, you know, you still scan it and you're grading on a digital suite, but you still, the way you could still have amazing skin tones with all your other colors around it without destroying anything was kind of fascinating and felt truly different to digital, which surprised me because I was not, I was not like a diehard in that. And since then I've tried to shoot and film on other stuff and it's a hard thing to get past these days. But when it came to the second Mike Snow video, we'd set a precedent. So from day one we were like oh it's another 35 mil video and that was great we got to play with it again but it's a uh, it's ironic now that shooting on film is at its most likely you get you can get away with it most likely on actually a music video where the budget's not incredible where on a commercial where you could have a huge budget and you could afford to shoot and film more easily you'll never get away with it anymore really at least in my experience but um uh it's it's definitely worth playing around with if you've not if you've not done it because it yeah. really surprised me is and it is like and, and i say this as someone who rolled my eyes whenever i heard people being like oh it's just so special blah 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 and, you, you and weren't it, a snob i wasn't i couldn't care less i was like dudes get with the times the alex is <laughs> incredible um and i have to say like it, it it actually does offer up something special different quite magical quite a different texture a different color to digital not take away from the other because each thing's different for the right job but for some jobs i now have now in my brain i'm like some jobs i'm like this feels like this feels like this should be film let's say right which i never had before well yeah i think that's a good attitude to have because like you said i feel like there are a lot of guys out there that just stand behind film kind of blindly just because they feel like it's the cool thing to do when in reality yeah. there's there's a lot of other tools out there that sure it, the, exactly. the, the, I think the story needs to take the precedence you know if it, exactly yeah if yeah, you're putting yeah. the aesthetic before the story i think you're gonna be yeah hurting yeah that's so true so true yeah um so how you know how do you how do you come up with your concepts let's let's just take the genghis Khan video for example from the first time you get that song put in front of you until until you've got the idea ready to present what does that look like um yeah so with uh, let's say specifically with that video and it's probably kind of general to most of my ideas is i nine i'd say like 90 percent of the time my music video ideas are unique to the track i do have so like like a depressing amount of rejected music video treatments that i that I think are great sitting in folders and I'm always like, and you always think, Oh, maybe I'll get to remake it in another way. And, and it's funny how rarely, how often your idea just applied to that track. It was an emotional response to that bit of music and you sort of can't quite retrofit it to other things. And so this one too. So, so the, the first thing is I've got a weird habit that maybe has become a superstition. I don't know in that I, the first time I listen to it, I try and listen to it while cycling Russ riding a bike <laughs> um basically i started realizing that i was getting my ideas i often i cycle always um like cycle everywhere uh, especially in london where like the tube can rob your soul and the bus can rob your soul i've got when i within the first few months of moving to london i started cycling and um play so it was long journeys that you'd be playing music on i started realizing that i was getting all the ideas whilst doing that and i heard someone later say there's a whole thing of like your conscious brain is thinking about 
the route and the traffic and everything else, which somehow takes that away. So yourself, your subconscious, I don't know. I think there's a slight theory to why you might be getting good ideas while you're cycling. Yeah. But I definitely noticed it. So I play my track on loop, on loop, on loop, on loop while cycling. And it's that horror, very annoying thing that there is absolutely no science or logic to an idea coming together. So sometimes it's insanely fast, like, second listen if not first listen the key image or the key hook or the key joke flies in your head and you're giddy and you're like oh my god i think i've got it and then other times it's horrendous like you're two weeks into listening to this track (laughs) on loop and you've still got nothing and uh the genghis khan one wasn't too horrendous it wasn't like weeks and weeks of listening i think it came relatively quickly and the beginning point for me was just a lyric i feel like quite often it's hard it's hard to sort of not I like acknowledging lyrics in my music videos but then I like not acknowledging them too literally so taking a sort of left hand slant of them or, or changing most of the meaning of them and so with that the chorus obviously I get a little bit Genghis Khan so it's them singing in a sort of song about relationship about Genghis Khan who is responsible for murdering something insane like a hundred million people and <laughs> and and so this idea of like a relationship or love story being sung about a uh, a sort of mass murdering dictator warlord um started making me think of like even and it being so dancey and so 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 poppy and so that sort of the hook there was then okay like um evil people dealing with love and not only that very quickly thinking of evil people dancing and you know expressing love in a hugely emotional musical way because they just can't help it and then that sort of idea started leading to film tropes and suddenly it's in the classic classic movie villain and therefore classic movie hero and then so i think normally you're listening to a smudge where you don't know where the track begins and the track ends because it's just loop 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 and suddenly you've got this idea like oh okay um dancing and evil people falling in love and then so then you stop the track and sort of turn off loops so you have a clear idea of where it begins and where it ends and start listening to it with a structure in that sense and suddenly being like feeling that third act you know like i like things having even in this case of a three and a half minute music video almost having a three act structure still always is like then the song starts informing your idea so i didn't i didn't know that spoiler alert for anyone who's not watched this spoiler warning i didn't know that the uh the spy hero was necessarily going to spin around and sing the lines back at him when i had the initial idea that probably came from listening to the track with this idea and suddenly feeling this chorus come bursting back in and having this moment of being like oh my god it's going to be a duet and you yes. know then you back to it again um so yeah i mean that was a long ramble but hopefully that was a vaguely interesting no song. no that was yeah that's great <laughs> i i i definitely agree i Something about riding a bike, um, yeah. just and ideas in general. I, I know yeah. my like my dad's the same way. He's telling me that he just like keeps uh, notes open on his phone whenever he mountain bikes, so he can just like pull off and write something down if he thinks of it. So there's definitely yeah. some some kind of weird thing going on there. Yeah, um, I've got the voice recorder app on my phone, and I've got tons of like wind blowing through the mouthpiece. <laughs> yeah hopefully cars honking the horns at me as i'm like screaming idea into it yeah (laughs) oh that's great (laughs) yeah no in the video i feel like i I mean right off the bat i was like this is awesome but the first time like the soldiers turn and do the like do that i was like oh man this is gold like that was that was so great um so like you 
obviously in both the both of Mike Snow videos, you have all this like incredible choreography. I what, do you do you work with uh, one choreographer or what? What does that relationship look like? I mean, obviously you must you must have some background in music or dance or something. I don't. I don't have. I mean, I studied. I studied. Well, I studied film and theater. I didn't do that, and I and I don't. I mean, I like. I like dancing, but yeah, <laughs> not in a professional right. sense. But I don't have that. But so it's interesting on the choreography side, and I and it so it is one person, um, and I've worked with different choreographers and smaller things. But all the key things of mine that that choreography is a part is is um, a gentleman called Supple Nam S U P P L E, and his surname's Nam N A M who's got actually an amazing back catalog. He's been sort of top of his game for the last decade in, uh, in commercials, primarily commercials probably. And then, and then music videos too. Um, and he came in, I joke with him where I'm like, do I write more? You, we get along very well. And he interprets my ideas incredibly well. He sort of elevates them. And I joke like, is the reason why more and more choreography started appearing in my work just because I wanted to hang out with you and work with you rather than like <laughs> that was the idea? I'm like, it's weird that I've started being known as someone who ha- who could do choreography because he came in on an early music video I did for a band called Peace, which was all these, it's sort of like a Wall Street corporate world um, shot beautifully by Steve Annis. Um uh, where a guy's like climbing up the ranks of, of like investment bank kind of, and it's all down to how he shakes hands with people. And it's these, so he first of all meets like the other young buck on the floor in the, he follows them into the toilets and you think they're going to fight and they just start doing a very intricate, intense handshake. And it's almost who can win the like power handshake. Then he moves <laughs> to his boss and it's how he shakes his hand. And then his help, his boss is like, Holy shit, that was the best handshake ever. <laughs> you can meet the big boss and he takes him up to the boardroom and, he has to then like have a boss level handshake with the boss and and uh, ultimately joins the Illuminati, which is a <laughs> cl- classic. But um, in that, uh, and actually, you know, thank God it was the producers who were like, I think we should bring in a choreographer on these handshakes rather than just you working out funny handshakes. And Sopple came in on that. So it's quite an abstract thing for a dance person to be in because yeah. it was just handshakes. And he took the idea to another planet. I was just like, thank God we brought him in. Like he, the handshakes were amazing. He worked so well with like actors who went dancers, teaching them that. And, and that was the beginning of our um, friendship and relationship. And, and, and like I, I sort of like I say, like I kind of joke that because because I've got this guy who's very creative and wants to push ideas, I suppose it makes me dare to write choreography into my into my ideas which i wouldn't do if he sort of didn't exist because there's been an experience i had where i sort of worked maybe not with him and i've and i've sort of felt like oh no what's quite important is his him working on my ideas with me right um so like what what did the casting process look like for that because i mean the, the especially the two lead guys you found are so perfect like how were you able to find those guys i mean it was it was amazingly since they've sort of really like touched the hearts of the internet <laughs> they get like they get there's so many amazing like like people do cosplay of those guys and do drawings tumblr's like got hundreds of fan drawings of these guys and all that <laughs> and it's really amazing really really sweet um and amazingly you know it's just it was just an open casting call i guess the good thing about london is you're not in a you're in a place where there's hundreds of people you know, working in the industry and trying to get in. So you do get a very high level of people coming into your castings. But 
again, it, you know, it being a, it was it was a music video, so it wasn't like we would we had you know a huge time and ton of casting in terms of the amount of sessions we did. But um, but yeah, they just walked in. I've had this on a few things where you 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 had it on a short film as well, where the cast just made it, and everyone's just like, oh my god, it's amazing that you found these people, and it's almost scary because you're like, yeah, I mean. But they're just they were just like the eighth person who walked in the room. <laughs> it's just that. And it's not any you know, it's not like we scoured the breadth height, length, breadth of the country. And then also that thing of in a weird way, when you first make the decision on cast, you don't see the final results. So you you know, in some cases you're like, Oh my god, these people are great and I and I thought these guys were great and I loved the look and I, I felt really good, but you still you still don't know, you know, it's only benefit of hindsight where you're like, Oh my God, that cast worked out brilliantly, <laughs> but you're still always like, there's always a moment when you've got a few names in front of you and a few photos and you're matching people up, how they look together. And then sometimes last minute you're like, your favorite goes to the side and you're like, Oh, what about this guy? And then later you're like, Oh my God, I remember when I nearly didn't cast them or something like that. But, um, but yeah, they, I mean, they did great. And the, and the sort of fun thing about doing the second video was to, to, to basically, just have a chance of us all working together again because it was like oh let's let's reform the band <laughs> yeah that's great yeah. yeah that was that was awesome i was so happy when i saw that i was like oh my god they're back well yeah uh, it was an interesting thing because they the sort of the band and the label were like they, i suppose it's maybe quite a surprise success in the first video so they were like let's do a sequel and i was the guy who was saying no because i didn't want to touch i didn't want to sort of hurt whatever was special about the first one and then sort of had this idea of well let's do a new like a new story, but the same themes and the same people, but not the same, you know, not the same plot, let's say, not continuation of that. And then that was really exciting to think about. Yeah. So, I mean, I know we kind of already touched on editing a little earlier, but what what's what does your editing process typically look like? Um, just curious. Do you, for, I mean, this could be for commercials or music videos, um, working working with an editor. Do you Do you let the editor take a first pass and then... And then you kind of revisit it, or are you involved right from the get-go? Yeah, I I purposefully force myself to be trusting of my editor um, in a way that because I and I think and I think that's a very helpful thing to do. Like the temptation is to micromanage your editor and to sit on his shoulder and to go through everything. And I think, you know, editing is an amazing skill and an amazing talent and an amazing collaboration and amazing contribution. And so what you sort of have to do and it's sort of, and, and it's almost painful because a director's by the, you know, no matter what a director ultimately is a control freak and all directors are, I, I feel like it's beneficial to, to take a step back and, and let them do their thing. Cause you know what you're going to do. So certainly in terms of a, a rough cut, a first pass, I think it's really helpful for the editor to go for it because they'll often surprise you they'll change the structure or they'll take where you are 100% sure you were going to you know end on the wide and they end on a close something there'll be nice surprises and sometimes they're completely wrong and sometimes they're really good and they really they really helped you so I try to back off as they go through you know they go through rushes and do a, a, a very rough assembly and often in some cases it's also too long it's like I did a rough assembly and it's six minutes long and I'll film has to be two minutes or something, you yeah. know what I mean but but it's a use I think it's I think that's a good thing to do and then and then it's sitting in the room with them and and to be honest like even though I've given them the time to do a rough assembly quite often it's like <laughs> quite often it's like changing it all back to where I wanted it to be but not across the board and it still meant that they've explored it and they've found things or they know things inside out and it also means that when I say like oh god why is this not working they've gotten 
it's not just been a case of me sitting being like that rush that select that this and them sort of being a an extension of a computer but instead they've kind of really they've had a response to rushes and they've started cutting stuff together and they'll have solutions for you so um so i think that's quite important and then in some jobs because of time often especially in commercials they seem to really love screwing you on the uh, on the edit time yeah. these days it's an unfortunate trend i've been noticing i'll have i'll some quite often i've had the editor on set just to get a head start on things so they'll be literally getting getting the rushes as i'm shooting them and starting the assembly already then which I'm not, uh, I think it's useful for the editor, but I, I really don't like, um, I've had the thing where on your lunch break, you, you have to look at, you sort of look at what they've cut and it's always so painful and baggy and it almost bums you out about what you're shooting when it's not that you're, anyone's doing a bad job. It's just the nature of the first assembly. Like it's right. so much nice, like I say, to almost go to your safe space, which is the edit suite, close the door and have a cup of coffee and dim the lights and, and, and play around with them. It's quite I really don't like the jobs where you're expected to sort of run after the shoot to the hotel room and start cutting and present something the next morning or something. It's just, it's a baffling process to me to not, to not give the time to the edit, like to put, spend all that money and then to not understand how much you're hurting it by not, not letting people just edit for a decent amount of time. But well, yeah, that's my, also, that's my rant. <laughs> I feel like by having the editor on set, you maybe kind of lose those, the fresh eyes to the project that Very you would much, get yeah, with that they know pass. they know what you battled they're like oh yeah that was when we all stayed till 3 a.m yep. because Bubba, and you're so right when they've not been there they'll just they'll just be like yeah but that shot didn't work and you'll be like but that was the shot that yeah. everyone cried over and they'll be like oh it's not any good yeah, yeah. you're totally right fresh eyes is, is, is super important um and then there was i mean in terms of like hero edit stories on my uh, video i made for run the jewels called love again um is all shot um it's like a narrative a, a kind of quite sexual narrative entirely told genuinely through macro footage of insects <laughs> so i'd written a, i'd basically written a script for insects that i and i saw it again storyboard animatic i'd worked out a whole film and then we with an amazing nature photographer spent five days in a tiny studio shooting insects waiting for these moments that would work for the story and for the response and my editor was on site then for all five days and working on that. And anyway, where normally I'm incredibly disciplined and good with my rushes, this was the opposite because you just had to shoot so much to try and find the right moments. And he had 18 hours of footage for a three and a half minute video. Wow. That's <laughs> uh, so insane. he gets the, uh, I'm very happy to say he won quite a few, he won a few awards off the back of that video. And I could not be happy about that because that is like, I'm like, yeah, that was a, that was an editor's job. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Well, with with something like that idea, that's you know so like abstract. Did do you have did you have any direction from them as far as what they're looking for? Or did you was that just like you just pitched that and had no idea if they were gonna like it at all? Uh, you mean you mean literally run the jewels themselves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they that exact video was quite interesting in that it, I've, it's the only time in my life I've reached out to. Um, to a band i sort of said to i said to pulse to sarah broadman who's head of music videos at pulse i said oh you know if there's a run the jewels track kicking around i want to i really want to make a run the jewels video because i'm i'm kind of slightly obsessed with with them and yeah. the, the, this was before run the jewels 3 which has been a great album this is run the jewels 2 i was super into um and so we sort of put out the feelers on that and then quite quickly just got a track back which i later found out and i hope i'm not speaking uh, out of turn here but i later found out they they've been trying to make a video for for quite a long time and no one and it, i think it was sort of quite 
unsolvable. Um, I don't. Am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> so I don't know if you don't know the video. The chorus of the track goes. Um, I've got that dick in her mouth all day. I got that dick in her mouth all day. Got that dick in her mouth all day. That's just chanted over the chorus. And then at the end, it sort of flips and Gangster Boo comes in with a graphic verse, flipping it all on his head, saying, actually, I was sitting on these guys' faces all day and I was in charge and she's got an X-rated chorus. Um, and so I was like, I'd reached out to this band and I was like, hey, I really want to make a video for you. And they're like, okay, here's a track. <laughs> Pish play. And I know the album. I pushed play and I'm like, oh god this track like what because like i say you can't ignore that lyric like right. it's impossible to come up with an idea and ignore that lyric and at the same time ron the jewels are a really smart band like the track's clever when you when you listen to it and it and uh and it's not just like you can't be literal in any way and so i mean you know i talked earlier about sometimes you get an idea really quickly sometimes you don't i mean this was like two and a half weeks later i was still like smashing my head off the wall being chased up where they're like, where's the idea? I thought, I thought you wanted to make a video for us. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and me being like, no. Um, and, and then, yeah, but then it, it turned out, it worked out really well. But then the solution was that I, then I, then I actually cut a whole um, little film together of, 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 of YouTube of like macro footage of, uh, how, of insects pollinating flowers cut to this lyric dick in a mouth all day was like a butterfly's proboscis is like <laughs> penetrating a flower and uh and they and like like i said i didn't know that for months that this has been going for months trying to get a video for this it got signed off in something like 24 hours they were like go do it which is amazing so it was good because it was so painful to get yeah. there but yeah they were just like immediately green lit it which is brilliant that's awesome <laughs> um so do you do you ever feel trapped as a director like are there are there some projects out there that you you would love to take on but you feel like you have to say no because they don't fit your brand like does that ever happen um, yeah that's an interesting question i mean there's there's projects there's certainly a lot i say oh god look at me there's loads i say no to that's not that's not the case i'm not uh but we what, get it you're a big deal <laughs> i mean i'm always oh my god i am saying that so much no um there's certainly things though that i i do turn down in a way for what you're saying but i think it's I, th I, th I think, I mean, to backtrack, what I'd almost say, and sort of my advice again to anyone who's, who's starting out, is only ever make the work that you uh, want to do, let's say, especially early on where you want to grab any opportunity you can so that your brand is, is just what you want to do. So as in, like, if you don't want to shoot performance videos of a band in a warehouse with smoke, looking like cool rock stars don't make those videos even in the early days when you're desperate to do anything because then that's what you do and that's your brand and you're the glossy performance video guy so if you're like no but all i want to do is gritty dramas and you know what i mean then you've got that so i think the good thing is i only have you know and i'd probably have made a lot more be more successful if i didn't do this but i've only ever made the videos that I really want to make and my style and my taste. And so for that reason, it's not that there's anything where I'm like, Oh, I wish I could do that, but that doesn't fit into my slick aesthetic or this or that. But I definitely say no to things because I'm like, say in that point where I'm like, you know what? I, I, I don't do glossy performance videos. I don't yeah. know how to do. Them. So if you want to, even, you know, if you want to, even if you're dangling an enormous, a lump of money, not that this happens to me, but let's say like, even if there's like, here's loads of money and we want a glossy pop video, then you're almost more likely to be like, do you know what? That's not in my comfort zone. Essentially right. that's not what I do. So I think the secret is if you can, 
make your pigeonhole be the pigeonhole you'd want to be sitting in anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's good. Yeah. So what, uh, what interests do you have outside of directing? Um, I, uh, I mean, this sounds like really sad and lonely what I'm about to say. The last few years have been very, very intensely based around filmmaking and script writing and I, to the, to the detriment of, of most other things that, that I was always like, oh yeah, what do I do outside of this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is just feels really, really, uh, slightly depressing to say. Um, the, I've since, since I was like a teenager, I've been super into skateboarding and I'm now tech, I'm now definitely too old to be someone who's super into skateboarding, but I still love skateboarding. I'm not any good at it. I'm a massively mediocre skateboarder and always will be, but it, <laughs> a bit like cycling, it totally levels out my brain and, calms me down and i've heard uh actually in that full circle to that book reference earlier in that judd apatow book there's an interview with spike jones and he actually talks about the the skateboarder's creative mind and the approach because you're looking for an alternate approach to things like looking at things differently and he sort of i think expands on that i've not got to the chapter i read it in the intro that he says this but expands on that to like a grander creative concept of skateboarders being creative people which is interesting yeah but uh uh, I mean, I mean, there's that, and then, uh, uh, um, and small things that are sort of related, you know, like photography and writing this. But yeah, the 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 desperately tragic answer to that story is I'm nearly always working on a script or working on a film, and, and or reading, and uh, uh, and then you know, on the on the downtime, I'm uh, hanging out with uh, my loved ones or walking my dog. But uh, it's not like I'm like also like an awesome, uh, I don't know, fencer or something. Yeah, well, I don't I don't think that's a sad thing by any means. I think <laughs> it, I think that shows in your work, honing honing in on the craft. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know if it's taken a lot of willpower to get yourself to be that way, kind of like trying to hone in your interest or if that's just like the natural progression. But I would say, regardless, I think it's a good thing because I've, I know for myself personally, I have, I have so many different little hobbies, but none right, of them right. are a career, obviously. So it's like, yeah, I enjoy doing them all, but trying to trying to find the time to do them all is difficult where it ends. And I know my time is better well spent focusing on directing and writing. So sure. Um, yeah. I feel like, yeah. I feel like the more hobbies you have, it kind of makes, makes it a little more difficult, but, uh, it's, it yeah, I think it's all about finding a, a balance. Makes your life a bit fuller and a bit more interesting probably. True. <laughs> yeah. So, so you say, you say you're writing a lot. Do you have any upcoming projects that you can speak about? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. So I, a big part of um, last year, 2016, was was finishing a screen, a feature screenplay. So I've, I've been writing a lot too, and that was first thing on that. And then I, I'm sort of superstitious about this, but there's also, it's also not, it's in like this. But that's basically and excitingly, the next thing I hope on my horizon is actually making a making a feature film that I wrote. Which is That's really awesome. exciting. Obviously, a huge uh, it was always a huge sort of dream and goalpost for me. Uh, we're kind of in, let's say, s- s- uh, soft pre-production right now. So we're already casting, and I've been doing location scouting. It's up in Scotland, where I where I'm actually from originally. I was born and brought up in Scotland. I've been up to Scotland a few times, and we're beginning to cast it. And uh, things are coming together, 
but I also I feel so like like it's a relationship with the most gorgeous person I've ever met who's way out my league and they might break my heart at any minute that's how I feel about yeah. it it's a film where I'm like oh god I love you so much you could hurt me so badly <laughs> um, I'm like I'm so like to all intents and purposes everything's looking really good I'm really excited with the script everyone's really excited amazing people are getting involved in it but I'm also just like oh god if this you know let's hope let's hope that we listen back to this and be like oh yeah he totally went and made that and it was fine yeah (laughs) is it just a matter of funding that you're waiting on well we're doing all right we're doing all right i mean honestly i sound so doom and gloom about it because i think i'm just trying to protect my emotions no everything's everything's in a good place and all going to plan it will be shot um sort of spring summer so quite 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 close to quite soon um and yeah hopefully Hopefully things are. Uh, hopefully it's. Hopefully it's all in place. <laughs> That's awesome. Can you give? Can you give us the logline or anything? Um, it's sort of a. Um, it's like four boys. Um, it's four boys on this thing called. In um, in in the in Britain, there's this thing called the Duke of Edinburgh Award, which is sort of like a bit like Scouts. Okay. Um, but uh, it's like a four day, five day hiking, camping award. Um that uh, the duke of edinburgh is the queen's husband he's sort of like in charge of that and anyway it's these boys on that and it becomes like a comedy horror of them being uh hunted <laughs> while they're on this but it develops into uh uh it's kind of like a revenge film for the youth of today on the entire generation above them in terms of the state of the world that they've been left with <laughs> and uh, the state of everything and uh uh yeah a bit of a a bit of a uh fuck you to uh to to everyone for for the state of how everything's been left for everyone young and what they're inheriting so is that a lot of a lot of personal experience put into this <laughs> well it's not autobiographical but it is uh for scottish boys on this uh on this award is something i did do as a teenager and then it sort of developed and it was really fun to write and it's really quite out there and it's quite funny and it's quite silly and um yeah i'm excited i'm excited about it as you can tell i'm sort of like nervous about it and excited about it I'm nervous about it just be you know it's it's, it's exciting that's the next thing because put so much time into it yeah no that's that's awesome can't wait can't wait to see that come to life cool um, yeah so all right last question we always end on this one what is something that you know now that you wish you would have known starting out something that i know now could that be I a wish- couple things yeah um um when i was starting out um i think this i think um i think when i was starting out i was easily intimidated by other um people who were also starting out or a little bit ahead of me like very intimidated you know i always thought like oh i'm trying and people would basically i think in in our line of work there's people especially when you're beginning and you're just graduating or you've studied or you're studying there's always people who have got you can talk the talk and are born with a natural enormous amounts of arrogance <laughs> and they can be they can really they could almost probably they probably those those sort of people probably maybe even stopped some people pursuing their dreams because mm-hmm. you meet people who are like i've got this in place i'm doing this i've already met with this people i flew out here i had this meeting with this producer i'm this i went to this party i sold my script to this person and you being like oh god i can't do that like i'm i'm, I'm rubbish at networking and i'm not this and this and this and and what i feel like you know now that i'm long and longer in the game and done that all you start to realize that 
A, those people who really intimidated you often don't. <laughs> it's all hot air and it doesn't lead to anything. And it turns out they weren't doing all these things or they didn't do them. And B, that I do truly and honestly think that filmmaking is a meritocracy, I want to say. But basically, good work equals good work. Not not. So I think in the short term, when you're just beginning, there is, it is true that people can get further ahead quickly with you know, really good networking skills and being very arrogant and very aggressive and very confident. And if you're not, if you're not naturally like that, you can be, you'd almost be completely defeated where you're like, I don't stand a chance. But I think the fact is if you make a good bit of work, that's all, all anyone cares about ultimately. And then you go within one second, if you made a good bit of work, it got a Vimeo staff pick, it got on a festival, it won something. You sort of have jumped a hundred rungs up the ladder from the person who's, who's amazing at, you know, work in the room if they've right. still not made anything good. And so and so I think weirdly that's sort of what I think is nice to know starting out that I, I kind of believed all of the people around me <laughs> who were like who were way more selly than me and confident me and all that. And I would and I would think like, oh my God, they're already about to make a feature and I've not, you know, I'm making films with my friends in their bedrooms and all and actually they never did and all that. So I think it's um it's good to know that in the grand scheme of things, hard work, <laughs> hard work and relentless work and perseverance basically is, is what works in the long term. Right. <laughs> well, it sounds like, sounds like you've got a little, gotten a little less anxious as you've gone on. Cause I think that's, I think anxiety is a big thing. A lot of young filmmakers have kind of going on along your point of like feeling like everyone's doing all these things and I'm not up to par and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it seems like as as you as you progress and th- those things kind of unfold and you can focus on the craft a little more instead of on what other people are doing. Exactly. And just making stuff, because actually the best thing in the world is just to be able to show something you've made. That's good. So when and, that, and that's hard too. like, to be honest, the first <laughs> the first bunch of films you make won't be as good as you want. And that's painful. But um, as you as you build up a body of work that you care about then you actually can, um, let's say, like, you know, sell yourself and work the room because you sort of have that backing to yourself. It's just about, so it's really, the, the secret is the work and nothing else. That was Ninian Doff, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you didn't learn anything, then you're Steven Spielberg. And Steven, if you're listening to this podcast, that's pretty cool shoot me a dm on twitter anyways that's gonna do it for this week guys we'll be back again very very soon see see ya